Hi, welcome to the Founders for Good Bite Size Edition, where every week we'll be sharing a short clip of a founder chatting about a particular problem that exists in the world and how we go about solving that problem. This week, we have Anya Roy, co-founder of Serona Health. Gynecological health is an area of healthcare that has suffered from underinvestment, with people often being misdiagnosed and taking years to get the correct treatment. Serona Health are changing that. In this episode, Anya explains how the current system works, why there are issues with diagnosis and treatment, what needs to change, and how Serona is solving this problem. I start by asking Anya what gynecological health is. So, you know, gynecology is basically like um, like an area of medicine that that uh, specifically focuses uh, largely on women's health diseases, particularly, you know, on reproductive organs, etc. Um, but I just want to say, like, maybe women's health is potentially not the most inclusive term, neither is gynecology. So we need to come up with a better term. Um, where we're looking at, you know, trans and non-binary people as well, um, who require these sort of um, uh, services. Um, but but, but uh, largely, you know, like, when we think about um, gynecology and why there is a reason for looking at life stages is I can I can potentially tell you uh, the relevance of doing that from my perspective as a founder as well. Um, we've tried to look at you know the verticalization of uh, gynecology and what we've seen is it's very difficult because some of these conditions are so hormone driven so interconnected that it requires this life stage approach because you know as you go through several different life transitions your gynecological needs change um so anything from menstrual health uh you know in the early life stages to to perimenopause and menopause in your later life stage and the in between around fertility and and um, becoming a new parent so that that that's the reason for uh you know, really looking at gynecology from a uh, life stage perspective and the relevance of it from from those lens. Got it. And and like in terms of um, how the system currently works, like if someone does have a gynecological health condition, what does a typical journey look like in terms of like diagnosis and treatment and, and linked to that? Like, what are some of the common issues or challenges with how the system currently works? Yeah, so I mean, like, you know, presently with the NHS, of course, there's huge waiting times. Um, so you would typically go to a GP who would refer you on to a specialist um, gynecological services. Uh, at the moment, that wait time is nine months. Um, wow. And a lot can happen over nine months. So um, so it's, it's actually really poor. Um, and we're really in the business of trying to change it but maybe if I can touch upon some of the current issues um Craig like just to give the audience a flavor of like you know the the problems that we're dealing with so uh endometriosis for example uh often dismissed as period pain it is not for anyone who's listening in it is not um it is where you know tissue which is similar to the lining of the womb grows elsewhere in the body uh it could even be in your lungs so think about these cells which are programmed to bleed every month are growing in other parts of your body hugely painful condition has been dismissed 
as period pain for God knows how long. Um, and it takes over seven and a half years to diagnose an average. And the first line diagnostic for it is a laparoscopic surgery. A laparoscopic surgery is a keyhole surgery um, that clinicians um, do. So just to give you, a, you know, like, a flavor of that, like imagine waiting for a diagnosis for seven and a half years, whilst, you know, often being dismissed, being told that, you know, you're potentially absolutely making this up, or you're crazy. Uh, this is in your head. These are sort of like the experiences of, you know, people going through these conditions. Uh, for example, PCOS on average takes you two years to die diagnose you're at high risk of diabetes cardiovascular disease etc um you know fertility in the nhs for example it, they ask you to uh, try for a year before they actually you know provide a test to diagnose whether you know you're potentially um you know if your hormones are, are are not optimal and so therefore like this is super you know like there are so many aspects that are incorrect uh, around sort of like the gynecological pathway um even menopause you know there are 27 clinics for like you know millions of women going through menopause how are they supposed to deal with that sort of workload so so i think you know um there's so many things that need to change from from like a gynecological pathway, uh, the way the current system is set up. Yeah, 100%. It's shocking. And, and um, your, your first example of endometriosis, like a, a good friend of mine, exactly, pretty much exactly, as you described, took eight years to finally get diagnosed and constantly being told it was something else, something much more trivial. It affected her mental health um, and had to really fight to get that keyhole surgery you mentioned to actually get diagnosed correctly. And now, feels much more like relieved just knowing it is what she thought it was the whole time but say eight years yes it's, it's yes. ridiculous um a lot of the time you know like I, I i always say patient advocacy has become sort of flavor of the season you have to go out there and advocate for yourself definitely and i'll say in terms of your view on on what's led the system to get to this point where it's so broken it takes years for people to get diagnosis um is that is that just typical what we know about the NHS it's just just completely maxed out and there's just lack of resources or is it like lack of like research and funding so I think I read a stat somewhere where it was like only two percent of publicly funded research goes into um just dedicated in the UK to like reproductive health which is a shockingly low amount um well I guess it's a combination of these all of these things yeah, so um, I think it's a combination. Um, you hit the nail right on the head, right? Like it's a combination of issues. So first of all, I want to start by addressing the fact that women were not even a part of clinical trials for the longest period of time. So, you know, for about 30 years, women were not part of clinical trials because uh, we have hormones, um, because, uh, you know, we are able to, um, you know, uh, get pregnant, etc. So we were excluded from clinical trials. Um, and so we have lost a wealth of knowledge because there are drugs that have come to the market in those 30 years, which have not necessarily been tested on a specific demographic. Um, and so we have a lot of work to do there. Uh, second of all, you know, diversity in clinical trials, it's still absolutely such a big issue even today. 
that we're still struggling to um, to address it. So until we address those very specific things right at the you know start of the of the chain of events that follow research it's very hard to change the outcome for for women today because it takes about 10 years and a billion dollars to bring a drug to market and if you haven't chosen the right patients if your um you know if your data is not diverse then how are you going to with that magic pill really affect you know or uh, a similar like number of lives so that's one aspect you know the second aspect is definitely like sort of like policy and sort of like funding certainly from a government perspective i think you know the uk government is is obviously like you know don't don't want to rebuke it but like a they're doing their best and there are um, vehicles like the Innovate UK arm that is funding cutting edge research, um, you know, whether it's universities or startups, etc. So they are doing good work, but we need more of it. So, you know, to put things into perspective, so for every $200 um, that is spent on diabetes, you know, endometriosis gets like, you know, about $20. So there's such a hundred, like, you know, like there's such a, like 10x gap between funding so if you look at that and if you look at the numbers though the prevalence diabetes the number of women who have diabetes is the same number of women who have endometriosis so so you know there's specifically there's obviously like a pyramid of um, conditions, etc. Like some have been indexed for research and funding, some haven't. So really putting a spotlight on women's health, I think, from a research and funding perspective is important. And then the last part is education, right? I think, you know, from a, um, from school, of course, like, you know, there is very basic sex education, which is taught. Uh, but really, I think we should bring sort of like boys and men into the conversation very early on around women's health, because women's health is a family issue, certainly not just a female specific issue. It's a family issue. It's a workplace issue. And so we need to address these things very early on. And so um there is a lot of work to be done from an education perspective, right from schools where you should be taught about menstruation, you should be taught about fertility, you should be taught about menopause, all of these things that, you know, women are kind of discovering sort of later, you know, in their lives or careers. It shouldn't be sort of something that's um, reactive, but like something that they feel like they've been educated early on and they have the right tools um, to to access help when necessary. So those are sort of like the three sort of fundamental things that come to mind. Yeah, completely makes sense. And uh, I guess in terms of like think about so like solutions now, obviously anything to do with kind of like policy or government is generally quite slow moving, even though it's typically quite impactful. Um, so do you see like, I, I see where, where I talk to people about kind of health solutions, um, the, the kind of opportunity area really seems to be actually um the focus on employers more and like how they support their workforce and um yeah providing better health care whether that's physical or mental health care is, is that the way you can see this going that's actually a good opportunity to to have a bigger impact faster than, than waiting for like governments to do something about it 
Yeah, listen, Craig, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, we can talk about what governments can do and, you know, what the NHS can do. But, you know, they're, they're sort of larger, sort of like beasts, and they have like several different issues to tackle. Um, you know, again, like I say, like, I really commend the work that, you know, these large sort of institutions do. And uh, the NHS is a obviously been under so much pressure as well since COVID and, you know, seriously delivered for, for the country and its, and its population. But also there are cracks. And I think, um, you know, some of these things that we're talking about today are the types of conditions that slip through these cracks. And, and, um, and, and so like the startups then have like a really interesting role to play in an ecosystem. And, you know, you can see that in regulated markets, like even fintech. And sorry, I'm just going to make like a brief analogy. Don't worry, I'm not talking about fintech. <laughs> I will come back to, to healthcare. But, uh, um, you know, the brief analogy is sort of like finance, heavily regulated banks have been so archaic for a long time. Um, very sort of like very vanilla type of products, etc. But if you look at startups, you look at blockchain, you look at, you know, um, sort of like uh, how how like neobanks have changed um, sort of the financial industry overall, which is a highly regulated industry. You know, I really think healthcare will go through the same sort of evolution too, which is a again highly regulated market and should be. So I don't question it. Like it should be because you know we're working with vulnerable patients, you know, patient data, et cetera. So it should be regulated by all means. But I think there will be this leapfrogging. So, you know, where you go from something archaic to quite modern uh, and, and skipping the sort of like clunky in between sort of road where, um, you know, a lot of things don't work, etc. So, you know, I think sort of like digital health is really changing the landscape here. And I'm hoping that will take the pressure off the NHS and employers will obviously have like a really big role to play, um, particularly in women's health, because, you know, it's it's an economic um, sort of argument at the end of the day, because there are women leaving the workforce due to uh, women's health conditions. And what that means is uh, employers are losing like bleeding talent. They're losing um, sort of highly skilled, highly qualified uh, assets in the organization, which again, sort of like have an effect on the top line and eventually the bottom line. So, um, so, so I think there's certainly like a, you know, return on investment conversation to be had when it comes to employers. But from Serona Health's perspective, yes, we've gone down the enterprise route. So we specifically work with employers, insurers and intermediaries and, it's something that made sense from our go-to-market perspective um, because you know we're in a we're in a market where healthcare is is effectively paid for, even though we pay for it, you know, like some in a in a roundabout way. Um, but uh, so we've not been used to paying for our own healthcare, which is a very different sentiment in the US. So, you know, I, I certainly think employers can really be flag bearers uh, for changing the women's health landscape. And, and we are working with, you know, companies who are doing that. So it's super fun and super cool.
Yeah, I bet. And yeah, like you said, it's, it's common sense. And I'm sure we could probably spend another half hour talking about all the reasons why employers <laughs> should be doing it. Um, but uh, probably a good yes. little segue <laughs> into um, chatting now about Serona, uh, Serona House. So I know you gave like a brief introduction at the start, mm-hmm. but could you just give a bit more detail around um, yeah, what yes. Serona Health is, what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, Serona Health is a digital health platform, i.e. an app uh, that provides a life stage uh, women's health, but also like soon to be in a gender inclusive way um, and, and really helps with anything from right from tracking to telemedicine to to prescription delivery to community. So really like you know, looking at taking the entire patient experience and converting that into a digital format to make it like more personalized and also gamified. Um, so, you know, when you use the Serona app, we reward you with coins uh, for some of the positive behaviors that you take, which then kind of really helps people change habits and really focus in on certain symptoms, again, personalized to their inputs and things that are plaguing them. Um, so that's kind of Serona Health uh, in a nutshell, but we focus on sort of underserved uh, um, life stage specific conditions. So we're looking at things like endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, uterine fibroids, um, you know, becoming a new parent. Um, so you might have lactation issues or potential um infertility issues, perimenopause and menopause, so the whole gamut of, of, of uh, things. And so because these conditions are so interconnected, it makes sense to work on it as a one platform, a unified approach uh, to providing this one-stop shop um, that, that provides all of this to, to patients. So, so that's around the help in the nutshell.